That was the opening song from MGM's On the Town, released in 1949. And you're listening to episode two of Classic Movie Reviews at classicmoviereviews.net. And I'm Matt Johnson, recording from rainy North Bend. And uh, who are you, my good sir? I am uh, Bob Johnson, and I'm recording from sunny Los Angeles, where this week everyone's happy because we're supposed to get rain starting Wednesday. Long overdue. Oh, you'll feel right at home then. I will. I will. The, the temperature will be a little warmer. Well, yeah. We, we were maybe going to have snow, but uh, it just turned Ooh. out to be more rain as usual. So this is our second episode. We made it through the first episode. We got it out there, and we actually got some comments back from people. We did. Yeah, the ones I received back were, uh, were pretty positive. Yeah, I think we had a little issue with our audio at the beginning of it, but I hopefully we've figured that out. And uh, this episode is also going to be available on iTunes. So if you want to download our podcast from iTunes, you should be able to just search on Classic Movie Reviews and uh, find us on there. Today we're going to be talking about On the Town, which honestly I don't know that I'd really heard much about this movie before I watched it this time around, but uh, I really liked it. It was fun. I, I like it too because it, it's such a it's such a simple, straightforward story, and a feel good movie. And there's some great dancing. My goodness. Yeah, dancing that looks as good today as I'm sure it did then. I mean, given the fact that the technical level of dancing seems to be so high these days. Yeah, particularly in like uh, one of the actors, Jules Munchen, who was the third sailor with Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra. Jules was in a lot of movies, and he always played the sidekick. Funny guy. He was he was funny. I think he added just the right amount of comic relief to the movie. And I was doing a little reading on IMDb, and there was a discussion thread about him, and whether or not he was really an appropriate actor to cast against Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly, the, the consensus seemed to be that he was, that he was kind of that perfect actor for the role, uh, although there was some debate. And I, he seemed so familiar, but I couldn't place him. And I thought maybe he, he reminded me of the cowardly lion from Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah, he does. Uh, who was that? That was, yeah, that was not him, but you're right. It doesn't could it, could it, could it, he could have played that, that role though. I think he, he, he reminded me of, of that character. So that, that song at the beginning there, funny to think of him, this, this steel worker walking to work singing about how he feels like he's still in bed. It was <laughs> he looked like a loud. linebacker. Yeah, he, he did. Looked like a linebacker for the New York Giants or something. But what uh, they go right from that song right into the I think iconic uh, song from the movies. Twenty-four hours. Yeah. Yeah, we never been here before. Ah, what can happen to you in one day? What do you think you're gonna do? <laughs> New York, New York, a wonderful town. The Bronx is up and the battery's down. The people ride in a hole in the ground. New York, New York, it's a wonderful town. New York, New York song. That's a great. That's a great one. 
Isn't that? And then the photography that they did while they were uh, singing that song all over the city. One of the big things about this movie was it was the first musical filmed on location. But not all of it was filmed on location. So it, they were only there for, I think, a few days, actually. I was, again, doing some research on this movie, and Frank Sinatra was such a huge star at the time that they had to drive around the town in cabs, and uh, they didn't want to have any limos or anything that might stand out, and they did a lot of filming from the back of a station wagon. So <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That's great. I thought that was a nice job uh, transitioning between the uh, on-location scenes and those that were filmed in back in Hollywood in the studio. But you could kind of tell when it was changed. Yeah, you could definitely tell, but it wasn't so jarring. And I think that the location shots really added that extra dimension to the movie and, and, and really pushed it to that next level. And apparently up to this point, it was the biggest grossing either musical or movie. I, I'm not sure, but one of those two for MGM. It was a biggie. They made so many good musicals like Meet Me in St. Louis, The Wizard of Oz, Singing in the Rain, An American in Paris, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. That studio really knew how to use Technicolor and music and, and uh, sort of glamorous sets. So, so they head from the docks and they head into town and they start talking about what they want to do in their 24 hours. And here, let's listen to Frank Sinatra. Gee, it's 9.30 already. The day is practically gone. We haven't seen a thing yet. Now, look, I've got the rest of the day all figured out. 9.45, the New York City Hall. 10 o'clock, the Cloisters. 10.15, the Planetarium. 10.30, the Aquarium. 10.45, the Natural... Hey, fellas, hey! Hey, fellas! He basically just wants to go see all the sites, uh, like the museums and the Planetarium and... I, I don't know. It's funny to think of Frank Sinatra as, as sort of like the nerd. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. I wonder why they why they cast him as that. He plays he plays like this hard to get kind of uh, almost. He's a little bit shy at the beginning and doesn't really want to have anything to do with the ladies. I was thinking about that. I wondered if maybe that was done intentionally because he was such a star, and you know had all kinds of rumors about different women that he was dating and so forth. So my thought was they did that to kind of play him against type. Oh yeah, maybe that's it. But they end up going down into the sub the subways, I think, after that, where they're talking about what they're going to do. And they see this guy hanging a poster from his turnstiles. And they Gene Kelly's character, Gabby, gets all worked up about Miss Turnstiles. I thought that was funny. There was a, there was a little scene right before that where these two women are hanging on to the, the oh, handles. Yes. And they're talking about yeah. their... She, one's talking about her boss, and the other one wants to know all the little dirty details about that. That was a good scene with the two people, the two office workers. And then they look at the three sailors and they kind of clam up. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then this leads into the first Broadway number. It was Miss Turnstile going about her day and all. And they imagined her as being this very glamorous sort of woman about town. <laughs> Let's listen where they uh, meet Miss Turnstile. 
Mr. Smith, you just act like you're putting the coin in the box. Okay, Good. buddy, out of the way. We're taking a picture here. Hey, why don't we get one of these sailors in the picture? Stand right here. Now, uh, Miss Smith, if you'll just give him the dime, you put the fare in the box for Miss Smith. Hey, you're... Aren't you Miss Turnstiles? How did you know? Well, I saw your picture in the subway, and I... Oh, you mean you saw my picture? Yeah. Oh, that. But she... I I'm terribly flattered you liked it well enough to take it with you. How's that, Max? Fine. Drop the dime in the box, sailor. Hold it. That's all, Miss Smith. Thanks, sailor. We're proud of our boys. I thought there was a lot of patriotism in this movie. What, what did you think? Oh, very definitely. The war being over. Uh, they probably made this movie in 48 and distributed it in 49. So, so close to the end of World War II. So uh, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, there was a lot of that. And there were some other interesting references to the war. Uh, actually, right after they meet Miss Turnstiles, uh, they meet the cabbie, Brunhilde, uh, which I thought was not a name you hear much anymore. <laughs> I, I thought it kind of fit her character. Taxi! Taxi! Sorry, no more fares today. I'm turning in the cab. It's overdue. Oh, please, mister. Hey, he's a girl. What are you doing driving a cab? The war's over. I never give up anything I like. Get in. That was Betty... Uh, Betty Garrett. Garrett. Yeah, Betty Garrett. She she did a great job, I thought. Something that Frank Sinatra's character said, that's, uh, why are you still driving a cab? The war is over. I know, that, that's, that was a very common theme at the end of the war when all the women were sort of ushered out of the business world when all the troops were coming back but she said that i'm not going to give up something that i love so much so it was she sort of she was a very strong woman uh wasn't going to back down you know and kind of knew what she wanted and what she really wanted was uh frank sinatra's character <laughs> you're right she was not shy about letting frank know that that's that was on her mind <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, that was kind of out there for 1949. The women characters were very uh, uh, modern, I thought, in their sensibilities and what they wanted to do. Uh, yes. Even, even though there were a few scenes later in the movie that really made it feel like it was 1949. <laughs> <laughs> in the nightclubs where they've got the one nightclub with uh, all the Asian women dancing, and then I think there was another nightclub where it, it was mainly more black people uh but yes there was a jazz club that was definitely dating it to that period of time for sure they're now they're on this quest though to try to find miss turnstiles and the cab driver uh, brunhilde takes them to the museum and they go right into another musical number here uh after they meet claire who's the museum anthropologist and there's a great scene where she compares let's see ozzy yeah charles Munchen's character to a Neanderthal. <laughs> uh, what you doing tonight? Now, just a minute. I want you to know that my interest in you is purely scientific. Huh? I'm just a cold-blooded scientist, and I'm writing an anthropological study for this museum. It's called Modern Man. What is it? The name is Claire Hudson. Pleased to meet you. I took your picture just now because you look exactly like this Pithecanthropus erectus. A Prehistoric man. Because modern man just isn't what he used to be, I think she says. <laughs> so they go into another musical number, which uh, ends up leading to them knocking the dinosaur down. And I thought, man, shouldn't they have like a rope around that thing? Or it's not very well put together. 
But now they're headed out to look separately across the city. They decide to split up and look for uh, Miss Turnstiles. And uh, I think really the only one who's really interested in finding Miss Turnstiles is Gene Kelly's character. <laughs> the others have other agenda items to go after. They, they certainly did. Uh, and they get back to Brunhilde's apartment, uh, Chip and, and Brunhilde. And this is another th scene that reminds me of... Uh, of a sitcom where Brunhilde's roommate comes out and she's all sick and sneezing and sniffling. And uh, in my reading uh, on the movie, the actress that plays that character was the only cast member that was brought over from the Broadway musical. I thought she did a great job. Is that right? She played the Lucy character. Yeah. Was yeah the, I didn't Lucy. know that. There's a scene later, though, I don't want it to get ahead of ourselves, but there's a scene later that takes place in the middle of the morning where Gene Kelly talks to her, which is one of my favorites. Yeah, that's a great scene. Uh, yeah, but before we get to that, we, we cut away back to Gene Kelly's character. He's made his way to where he thinks he's going to find uh, Miss Turnstile. And then we kind of get to the central conflict of the movie here, which is Gene Kelly, or Gabby is his character in the movie, and Ivy make plans to meet at the top of the Empire State Building. Davy, I'd love to go out with you tonight. What? I have a big society party to go to, but I'll break the engagement. You will? Yes. Oh, gee, shall I come and get you? Oh, no. I'll meet you. Oh, good. 8.30? 8.30. What is here going on? Oh, Madame Zilioska. I beg your is pardon. Is this a friend of yours? Well, not exactly. Leave it once, young man. Oh. Well... Goodbye, about 8.30. 8.30. On your way, Bellbottom. Oh, Madame Dilyovska, I'm going out with him tonight. Where? We, we forgot to say, say where. where. <laughs> <laughs> Top of the Empire State Building. But it's so high up. Oh, it won't seem high to me. I'm in the clouds right now. Little does Gabby know that Ivy's actually has to go to work <laughs> not a she's not a debutante like he thinks that she is and so many so many movies and tv shows revolve around like this lie between kind of the main characters and in this case it's uh ivy sort of leading gabby on to think that she is sort of the debutante and she is high society when in fact she's really not she's a cooch coochie dancer yeah, that was an interesting Pony Island. <laughs> That's an old-fashioned term. I think that word has a different meaning these days than it did back then. Or maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know that. Either. I haven't looked that up. <laughs> so, they, so they all end up at the top of the Empire State Building. And then they go into another great musical number. Ivy! Gaby! Oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. Gee, I thought you'd never get here. Well, I had a lot of trouble breaking my engagement, but I'm glad I did. Me too. Oh, well, here she is, Miss Turnstiles. Well, what do you know? It's Gee. Really uh, Ivy, this is uh, Hildy, Claire, Ozzy, Jill, Ivy Smith. Ladies and gentlemen, we're off on a lock. I've got one suggestion before we embark. There are lots of nice things to do in the dark, but let's not go rowing in Central Park. Whoa, 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 we're going on the town. New York, we're riding on a rocket. Gonna really sock it. Because tonight's the night. 
they all head out together on the town for a bit and they're going to a nightclub and Gabby, again, Gene Kelly's character, thinks that Miss Turnstile's, you know, much more well-known and important than maybe she really is. And, and they think that they can get a table at this busy nightclub just because Miss Turnstile's is there. Hey, Francois, yes, build us madame. a table, will you? I'm sorry, madame, there are no tables. Of course, madame, a table, surely. Garçon, table. You see that girl over there? Make a big fuss over her. Miss Turnstile. Miss Turnstile, what is that? Never mind, just make a fuss. Go ahead. Uh, but I thought it was really nice because uh, Claire and Brunhilde sort of have this little behind-the-scenes thing that they do with the maitre d' to pretend and and kind of, you know, facilitate this lie that she's uh, a debutante. And I thought that was nice. They really want to show these sailors a, a, a nice night on the town. I, I also enjoyed when they were dancing on that dance floor in the first place, how crowded that was. It looked like there were 5,000 people on that dance floor. <laughs> yeah. It's just amazing that someone wasn't injured. And then uh, suddenly uh, Ivy notices the time and that she's running late for her other job and sort of just ducks out and disappears without really saying anything. And of course, uh, Gabby's very disappointed about this. And but he makes the best of it, I thought. And this is this gets to the uh, scene that you were talking about, where it's two thirty a.m. Oh, this is where I live. Oh. Oh, it was very nice of you to take me home. Well, that's all right, Lucy. And thanks. Would you like to come up for a minute? No, I guess not. The others are waiting for me. Besides, I'm not very good company tonight. I guess I showed you a pretty dull time. Oh, no, I had a marvelous time. <laughs> At last, I have something to write in my diary. I've been using it for laundry lists. <laughs> no, really, I'm, I'm sorry about tonight, Lucy. You know, somewhere in the world is a right girl for every boy. I guess I found the one for me before I even met you. I tried, but I can't forget her. Don't you worry. You'll find your guy. You're a nice girl, Lucy. Good night. Oh, you bad boy. Now I won't wash my cheeks for a year. But he's he's really nice to Lucy in, in that scene. Yeah, that, that was well... I mean, I enjoyed that because he, he tells her that he's really in love with Ivy and he's enjoyed the evening with her, but it's just not... She'll find someone someday... It was a very tender scene for me. I enjoyed it. And he it gives her a little little kiss on the cheek and I loved her yes. reaction to that. <laughs> yes. And then off they go or off he goes. And, and here's oh. where it got a little odd to me. Um but they have this big police chase through the town. Yes, yeah, Brooklyn. <laughs> I thought that was just so it was so different than the rest of the movie and and I could see where they wanted to add some excitement to it. But I thought it went on a little long, and it added sort of a another level of tension in the movie that I don't necessarily think needed to be there. But it was it was fun. I, I think it was funny how they hid behind the gross uh, the produce uh, sign, and and you know the police didn't catch on to the fact that they'd done that. I liked it when Broom Hilda said to them in the cab, "We'll go across the bridge. I got a great place to hide." And one of the sailors says, "Where's that?" Brooklyn. 
<laughs> that was a great line. <laughs> and that one police officer that was, I think, the driver had sort of a sympathetic soul. He was always sort of empathizing with the uh, with the group. He he did. I think he would have enjoyed kind of being on the town with them. Uh, there was a scene at the top of the Empire State Building with him, and uh, he was just marveling at how beautiful the view was. And the other police officers were like, "Come on, we got to go find these guys." You yeah. know? <laughs> he was a bit of a poet. He was. He was a he was a sympathetic soul, like you said. Uh, so they 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 end up. Uh, at Coney Island, right? Is that where they ended up? They go to yeah. They go to Coney Island where she's performing with I forget the name of the act. The but it's the sort show. of an Arabian Nights kind of dancing thing that they're doing with the three women, and it's revealed here that Ivy's not a debutante and not high society and is really struggling to make it in New York and has to work at this as a cooch dancer in order to pay for her ballet lessons. Well, this is Tillu Avenue in the boardwalk. I wonder what she could be doing here. Doesn't look like a big society party to me. Shut up, Chip. Inside, we feature Princess Yvette, the girl who picks up the handkerchief with her teeth. Ivy! Why, she's the hottest Gaby. little Billy this side of Philadelphia. All right, step up, step up, folks. Ivy, keep away from me, keep away from me. Well, now you know everything. Here I am, Miss Turnstile, the famous celebrity. This is my big society party. What are you doing here? You're not in the blue book. Ivy, why did you leave me? I thought I'd never see you again. I had to come to work. Don't you see, I work here. That's what I do. I'm a coach dancer. But I have to work because I owe Madame Dilyovska money for my lessons, and I have to pay her. Excuse me, I have to go on now. Ivy, I don't care about any of that. I don't care what you do. All I care about is that I found you again. Ivy, I thought I'd lost you forever. Why did you run away? She was so ashamed of that, but I thought, man, it could it could have could be a lot worse. You know, she's working, she's she's dancing. Right. She's making it in the big town. Yeah, and and this was it was very sweet how they actually find out that they're from the same town. Uh, I like that. I like that part. Very much so. And I, I, I want to just skip back for a minute to Gene Kelly's uh, big Broadway number that was right before that. And what a tremendous dancer and athlete he was. Couldn't believe it. it, was, and, it and it basically recaps the movie up to that, por that point. And it, it certainly showcases his dancing ability. And I was, I, I was just mesmerized by watching him and, you know, thinking about shows like uh, that are on TV now. So you think you can dance, you know, and he'd and probably do pretty well in that. He, he would, I could see him being like a judge on that show, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, even though, like, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, even though uh, the technical ability of dancers is probably higher now than maybe it was during his time. Uh, he was just so graceful and just so, he just looked like he was floating on air when he danced that it was, it was beautiful to watch. Uh, so then it, we're getting here to sort of the, the, the final scenes of the movie where uh, the boys dress up like girls and dance to try to evade the police. And of course, it doesn't work. And, and they're captured by Shore Patrol, which just happens to be there with a paddy wagon at Coney Island. 
don't know. That worked out great, and the door was open, so they went right in. They went right in. Yeah, it was perfect. Uh, but then the girls are so upset by the fact that they didn't get to say goodbye that they convince the police that, no, this is all just a big misunderstanding. All right, nobody leave. I'm taking you girls along the night court. The rest of you stay here for questioning. Wait a minute, where are the boys? The shark patrol took them back to the ship. It's a break for them. But they didn't do anything. You can't do that. Well, we haven't even said goodbye to them. No, no, little one, don't get upset. Just a minute. we got a right to know what the charges are. Oh. So you want to know what the charges are? Yeah. Well, first of all, speeding, stealing a taxi cab, destroying a dinosaur, and in general, disturbing the peace of our fair city. What? For that, you separate three sailors and their girls without allowing them a goodbye kiss? For that, you throw three kids on a one-day pass in the brig? Speeding. Ivy, Ivy, tell them why we were speeding. Well, Gaby thought he'd never see me again. There, there, now there. And your dinosaur. Why, Professor, you ought to feel proud about that dinosaur. What? You ought to feel proud that three sailors from the United States Navy got off the ship for one day, and what did they do? Were they thirsty for hard liquor? No. They were thirsty for culture. Were they running after girls? No. They came running to the museum to see your dinosaur. For months out at sea, they were dreaming about your dinosaur. Is it any wonder that seeing it face to face, overcome by emotion, that one of them fell against it and broke it a little? Why, I'll bet if that dinosaur could speak, he'd say what any public-spirited citizen would. For the Navy, any time. Come on, guys. These guys are on shore leave. Let's not lock them up. And everybody applauds, and they all support her. And then they, the police are g- say, well, let's get them back so that they can say goodbye, and they give them a police escort back to the docks. And it, start, it, it, it ends exactly where it started 24 hours earlier, uh, except now there's three beautiful girls waving goodbye to the sailors, and a whole new group of sailors get off the ship, and you just imagine that it starts all over again. <laughs> I love the ending because I had forgotten it ended that way, but it's like, it's like they're going to recreate it again. Yeah, three, three, three different prepared. sailors sing the same song, and it's just exactly as it started. So And that middle linebacker starts singing. And he's back, yeah, singing his song again. Uh, so just a couple other things I wanted to mention about the movie uh, that, that I noticed as we were watching it. Uh, one was that there's definitely a, a sort of a color shift throughout the movie. So at the beginning, there's a lot of yellows and oranges, and it's very bright. And then near the middle, it got to be more uh, deeper reds and purples and blues. And then near the end, it was so dark. It was at night. There were some scenes that were almost black and white. And it, in fact, it made me go back to IMDb and double check that the movie was actually filmed in color and not colorized later because there was a couple scenes that the background was just pure black and white. Uh, and they were, the, the characters and their dresses and whatnot were color. But uh, it, it was... I think they must have done that on purpose just to really make that color pop out from the background. I, I noticed that too, but I don't know the reason. Um, that's probably it. Overall, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I probably never would have seen this movie if we hadn't been doing this podcast, but now I'm glad that I was able to watch it. I was I loved watching it again. I hadn't seen it for quite a while, and I watched it twice getting ready for today. and. It was a profitable movie that people love to go to and a movie you wouldn't see today. It's just it's just uh, from a different time. I gave it a 7 on a scale of 1 to 10. 
I would I would recommend it for anyone who would want to see a really well done musical. It has a few issues that I found, like for instance, the police chase and some of the setups for why they were doing things that they were doing seemed pretty contrived. But you just didn't. I just didn't really care because I was so fun to watch and it was so fun to listen to the singing and and watch the dancing that you know whatever they needed to do the mo- to move the plot along was fine with me. <laughs> If I had to pick a rating, I'd probably give it a 7, as you did. Thank you for listening to this episode of Classic Movie Reviews. And next week, well, I should say two weeks from now, we've decided we're going to release these every two weeks. Uh, Bob and I are going to talk about Double Indemnity, a classic film noir from Paramount released in 1944. And this is Matt. And Bob from Los Angeles. So until next time, happy movie watching. Yeah, <laughs> they're doing okay. Well, I guess when you live in L.A., you're going to meet some people that are famous, right? Oh, I, I've seen... You remember the lady that played the the uh, the bad woman in that movie where she came from outer space? I think it was called Species. Oh, yeah, yeah. Natasha Hendrickson, I think. Hendri- yeah, yeah, that's the lady. Well, I'm in Sports Authority yeah. last Thursday trying to find a cap. And who walks by but her and her son, who's probably Jaden's age, She's practically as tall as I am. Yeah, she looks like And she's talking to her son about, she says to her son as she's walking by, do you have to want to buy everything in the store? And he says to her in this really smart-ass voice, well, it's just a part of my species. Seriously? (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's when I connected her to.